Gracious God and Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable in your sight through and only through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In his name, amen. Take a look, please, at your gospel reading for this evening on page 8 of the Worship Bulletin. I invite you to look there. We're going to read the first couple of verses and then make some comments. On page 8, Luke 17, beginning at verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. So this is part of the travel narrative. He's on his way to Jerusalem to suffer and die for the sins of the world. Verse 12. As he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now Roman numeral one in your outline on page nine. What we see here is the consequence of uncleanness. And that's letter A in your outline. Uncleanness has nothing to do with germs. It rather has everything to do with God's holiness. And it's rather strange. Scripture never defines what holiness is. It makes a big deal out of God's holiness and our lack of the same. But it never defines it. And yet holiness is what makes God distinct and different from you and me and everyone and everything else. It's a property that he has, and to have any fellowship with God whatsoever, he needs to share his holiness with us. And holiness is the absolute antithesis, it's the opposite of sin and its consequences. And part of the consequence of sin is disease and death, deformity. These are all consequences of the fall, living in a fallen world. And God's holiness is the opposite of all of that. And to have any contact with God, we need to be cleansed. And the lepers need cleansing. Uncleanness has separated them from the community in which they live. And that includes the worship of God. They're divorced from all of that. All of that which gives life. It is a slow death for them. Letter B. Uncleanness is not sin, but a symbol of it. It's a consequence of sin. If you come into contact with a dead body, you're unclean. You have to go through a purification ritual in the Old Testament to be readmitted to the community and to the worship of God. And God came to dwell in the tabernacle. He came to dwell in the temple to share his holiness with his people so that he might live among them. For those who were clean, who were ritually pure, who had been through a ritual cleansing, God's holiness was life-giving. But to those who were unclean, 
It was death dealing. Letter C. The unclean could not enter or even approach the sanctuary of God, the tabernacle, and later the temple. They could not even approach it. And so they stand at a distance and they cry out to our Lord. And we read in verse 14, when he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priests. Now the priests were those experts who would examine the patient and determine whether or not the skin disease was cured or gone. And if it was, if they gave the okay, then the individual was readmitted to community life and to worship, because they were one and the same. If not, they were banished again, they were cordoned off, they were kept separate, they were still unclean. And we read, and as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And that's part two of your outline, Jesus and the one. Part B, we'll cover part A in just a moment, but part B, the great voice of the one, the large voice of the one, it's almost as if what Luke is writing here, that voice of the one individual who turns back is greater, it's louder, it's more welcomed than the voices of all ten earlier. Letter A. The Old Testament sanctuary had to be kept clean. The Israelites believed and there's ample biblical warrant for this, that their sins accumulated in the sanctuary. Their sins, their uncleannesses, would build up in the sanctuary to a point that God would leave and abandon it, and he would abandon them. And so they had a ritual of daily sacrifices, morning and evening, to cleanse the temple, to reduce the pollution in the temple so God would remain and continue to live among his people and share his holiness and his mercy with his people. And so the sanctuary had to be kept clean constantly because it was constantly being invaded by uncleanness, the uncleanness of the people. And this was to teach the people the difference between God and sinful humanity between holiness and sinfulness. That's what it taught. That was the purpose of it all. It's instructional for you and me today. The Old Testament sanctuary had to be kept clean. The New Testament sanctuary, and that's Jesus Christ. He's the true temple of God. John chapter 2, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Speaking of the temple of his body. God dwells in the person, the flesh of Christ. And John writes in his first letter, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin, from all uncleanness. Sin and its consequences. Sin and its diseases. The New Testament sanctuary cleanses us. And that's the good news. And this one 
who turns back to give thanks to God recognizes something about this man Jesus that no one else gets. He understands that to thank God properly, you do so at the feet of Jesus. Letter C. To give thanks to Jesus the Son is to glorify God the Father. Verse 16, he fell on his face at Jesus' feet. That's worship. Giving him thanks. And by the way, this is the only place in the entire New Testament where Jesus is thanked. Now, I I know there's a lot that can be said about ingratitude. All of us uh, suffer from ingratitude, I think. But this is the only time Christ himself is thanked. Otherwise, God the Father is thanked through Jesus. Through Jesus. The two always go together. But here, Jesus himself is thanked, and Jesus interprets that as thanking God, as giving glory to God. Point number one, the Samaritan worships God in the flesh. He falls on his face at the feet of Jesus. And point number two, it's not faith per se that saves, but the object of our faith. Jesus Christ. He's the object of faith. He's what gives faith its existence. His words, his deeds create faith that grasps him and apprehends him. Jesus said in John 5 that all should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. What mere human being could speak thus? That all should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. The two go together. To honor one is to honor both. Letter D. The passage is not about being more thankful. I think many times, and I'm sure I've done this in the past when I've preached on this passage, I've I've focused on the fact that we should all be more thankful than we are. Well, no matter how long I journey in Christ, I can always be more thankful than I have been. But it's really about whom to thank. It's about whom to thank. The other nine lepers may have been every bit as thankful as the one who returned. We're not told they weren't. We're not told they were less thankful. But they did not recognize the significance of Jesus Christ. They did not recognize that to thank God, to glorify God, to worship God, you do so at the feet of Jesus. That's what the one understood. And at this point in the gospel, I think this one foreigner, this one Samaritan, probably gets Jesus to a greater degree than any of the disciples. Maybe. Just maybe. Notice verse 17. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? 
And verse 18 is a real kicker. Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? How do you give praise to God? Only one's doing it. Only one. He's at the feet of Jesus. That's how you do it. It's not about being more thankful. It's about knowing whom to thank. In verse 19, And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has... Now I'm going to give you a literal translation from the Greek. Your faith has saved you. That's what the Greek says. Your faith has saved you. Now the translator here, doing a great job, uh, doesn't want to confuse you with too many facts, and the context is a healing, so he's going to interpret it and translate it as the healing. Okay, your faith has healed you. That's the context. But literally, the language is your faith has saved you. And I think Jesus is telling us that the man is more than healed of leprosy. This man possesses saving faith in Christ, saving knowledge of God. I believe that's what Christ our Lord is saying. This foreigner gets Jesus in a way that very few do, and he perceives how to approach God rightly, rightly. That is to say, you and I meet God on his terms, not on our terms. We do not get to decide what pleases God. God reveals to us what pleases him, and what pleases him is Jesus. Jesus for you, Jesus for me. Jesus not only dying on the cross for our sins, but Jesus living the perfect life in your shoes and in mine, so that his righteousness is ours through faith in him. What pleases God is that we listen to his son. The father speaks from heaven, and one of only two times he speaks from heaven in the gospels, this is my beloved son, listen to him. No, this is my beloved son. Believe in him. What pleases God is that we praise and thank him through his son. Not just in some generic way, oh, thank you, God. I suppose that's better than nothing. But God desires to be thanked and praised through the one who lived and died and rose for us. And take a look on the back of your bulletin, page 20. I just give you some examples. These are just a few examples of what I'm talking about. Throughout Scripture, uh, Ephesians 5, 18 through 20, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. That's, that's a, a bleeding away of everything that is life, all right? But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then our first reading for tonight, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds, how? In Christ Jesus. This is what is pleasing to God. 
This is what makes our praise and our thanks acceptable to God, that we offer it through faith in his Son. Well, you can read the rest on your own, and this is just a sample of what you see in Scripture. God is always thanked through Jesus Christ. The Father and the Son go together. You cannot have one without having the other. And it takes the Holy Spirit working through the Word to reveal that to you and to me. Now, let me uh, direct you to page uh, 10 for just a moment. The hymn that we just sang, We Praise You, O God, that's from our hymnal. It's a, it's a great hymn. And uh, it says nothing wrong. It says nothing wrong. But it's what it does not say that reveals its weakness. Okay? There, there is no explicit reference to Christ and to Christ's work in the hymn. Now, it's perfectly acceptable to sing. We're seeing it tonight. It's a traditional Thanksgiving hymn. That's why we've included it. But what I'm saying is that not all hymns are equal. Some do a little better job of teaching the faith and teaching scriptural thanks compared to some other hymns. Again, it's not wrong to sing it. We're singing it. What I am saying, though, is that there is a difference a steady diet of LSB 785 and hymns of that sort only, I think is a deficient diet. That's why we include a range of hymns tonight, not just 785. I believe in singing it. I'm saying that it has a weakness, no explicit reference to Jesus. That's the only problem I can find with it. So, page 8. I want to direct your attention there in closing. Verse 18. Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? So again, how do we praise God? How do we do it? There's only one in our text who's doing it. And that's the one who's doing it through the Son. That's our guide. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. It's through him that I know I'm heard. It's through him that I know I'm forgiven. Can God forgive and work outside of Jesus? God can do whatever he wants. He's God. but he limits me to his son because there and there alone I know on the basis of his promise that I'm heard. In his son I know on the basis of his promise that I'm forgiven. Everything outside the promise, everything outside, the Christ, outside of Christ is open to question and I don't want to be standing there. I want to be in the promise. I want to be where I know God is at work, where God is forgiving, and where God hears my thanks and my praise. That's how we thank God rightly. Outside of Christ, I don't recommend it. In Jesus' name, amen.
The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.